Hello, I'm Declan Carey, and this is the Election Politics Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by our North America correspondent, Scott Coston, and we're going to talk about the Green Party of Canada's leadership election, which was won by Annamie Paul. Annamie Paul is the daughter of immigrants from the Caribbean who came to Canada in the 1960s. She is a woman of colour, she's Jewish, and she's the first black woman to lead a national political party in Canada. Scott's been following the election quite closely and he's met a number of the candidates, including Paul. So we're really excited to hear what he's got to say about it today, especially. Um, Scott, first of all, welcome to the show. And I mean, what do you make of the result? Was it expected? Was it a shock? How do you find it? Well, I think, you know, Annamie Paul was the biggest fundraiser. So if, if money is any indication, then it's not a surprise. She was subtly, if not openly endorsed by the outgoing leader, Elizabeth May. So that probably helped her as well. Um, I would say this victory is groundbreaking and historic for the reasons you just outlined. But at the same time, it's, it's really a victory for the status quo. You had a large number of left-wing uh, folks, eco-socialists, join the party to support other candidates. Their preferred uh, candidate in the race, Dimitri Lasteris, performed quite strongly, finishing second. But ultimately, this is a win for the status quo. It means that the Greens are going to remain a centrist party. Uh, but you have to give credit to Annamie Paul. She ran uh, a smart campaign. She is an excellent candidate, a very smart person. And her speech last night uh, certainly signaled uh, an ability to operate uh, very well on the big stage. What do you think we can expect from from Paul then as leader? Is she going to take us in a new direction? I mean, I know you said she's quite central and quite quite a moderate maybe, but is there anything exciting or different that we can expect? Well, I think one thing you will see is uh, she talked about Canada's social safety net as not being complete. So in Canada, we have universal health care, uh, but there are social programs or health programs which are not universal, such as dental and vision, uh, pharmacare. Uh, there have been promises from the federal government, the Liberals, on some of those, but it's never really transpired. She wants to uh, complete the social safety net so that things like those are included. So to people that are leftist or progressive voters, that will certainly be appealing. Um, she also has, as you would expect from a Green Party uh, candidate and now leader, a pretty strong message and platform regarding the environment. Where I think you'll see some difference and where it will probably be most stark is in foreign relations, international affairs. Uh, Annamie Paul is not um, very strong in terms of supporting uh, Palestinian rights. She has not been uh, someone who has called out some of the uh, coups or attempted coups or regime change efforts in, in South America, Central America and other places. So that might be one area where you see a, a big difference uh, heading towards a more conservative international outlook. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, I think when, when you think of the Greens, um, it may be quite surprising to think that they wouldn't be supporting Palestinian rights and issues like that. It seems like a natural thing for them to support. I know in the UK it tends to be like that. Um, 
Yeah, and do you think what do you think voters will make of that? Because that's that's quite a big thing. You have to understand the Canadian Green Party is distinct from the European Green Parties and even the one in the United States. The Canadian Green Party for many years was led by Elizabeth May, who on some issues very progressive, on others uh, quite centrist or even reactionary. The Canadian Green Party is not historically uh, a tremendously leftist party. It's been pretty middle of the road, which has been exposed even uh, more distinctly in recent years with the slightly leftward movement of the Liberals. So to Canadian voters, probably not a huge surprise. Uh, I think there's a saying here calling the Green Party conservatives uh, with bicycles or conservatives who take public transit or something to that effect. Um, but to outsiders, it, it probably does look a bit strange when in Europe, it's a, it's a, it, the Greens are, are quite solidly considered a left-wing party. Who would be a natural ally for the Greens then in Canada? Would, would, it, would that be, you know, for example, in a hypothetical situation of coalition government, hung parliament, would the Greens look to the Liberals? Would they look to the Conservatives? Where do you think they would fit in that context? I mean, in many respects, they are in the same neighborhood, let's say, as the Liberals and the NDP. Yeah. The Greens are a big tent party. They attract people from all walks of life and from all political stripes. I think that those are the two parties that they would be most expected to work with in a minority situation. There were some issues in the election. And one of those notably was about fundraising. That was from Glenn Murray, who was one of the candidates. And there's also the issue of Mayim Haddad, who was kicked out of the race early on. I know that you were involved in the reporting of that. Um, do these events somehow detract from the success of Paul? I don't think so. I think she clearly was, was going to win. Um, based on the numbers, it wasn't that close. She won. She had 12,090 ballots at the, at the end compared to Dimitri Lascaris's 10,081. So it's a pretty pretty healthy margin. Glenn Murray, who is, is really uh, someone who has a, a pretty solid track record in electoral politics, but not in green electoral politics. He was the mayor of Winnipeg, uh, one of our bigger cities in the Western provinces. He was a liberal member of provincial parliament and cabinet minister in Ontario. But I think he was viewed by many as kind of a tourist in the party, and his numbers reflect that. Whether he uh, suffered a bit because his fundraising numbers weren't accurately reported, they were underreported by the party, uh, that's possible. Uh, but I don't think it changed anything significantly in, the, in, in terms of the race. Same can be said of Miriam Haddad. Uh, you know, she only made it to the, to the third ballot, and she had very little support ultimately, less than 6%. I think with her, it did show the party's overreaction to new politics, creative politics, leftist politics, whatever you want to call them. And it's it's worth remembering, Dimitri Lascaris, who finished second, was originally being prevented from entering the race to begin with. There was a process where he had to um, you know, undergo further scrutiny. They didn't want to let him in because he has been 
branded by organizations like Benaiah Brith as, a, as anti-Semitic because of his comments about Palestine and Israel. So I, I don't think really any of these things altered the race in a meaningful way. What were the candidates like personally? I know you interviewed a number of them, including Paul. Um, were you particularly impressed by anyone, just how they came across personally in that interview? I interviewed six of the eight candidates. The only two I didn't interview were Andrew West, who was eliminated first. He got less than 2% of the, the vote. And the other one was Glenn Murray. I found, um, you know, if, if I'm putting on my leftist hat as the most impressive candidate from a left-wing point of view was hands down was Dimitri Lascaris. He he had a bold, uh, well-articulated vision for an eco-socialist party. Where I think I found the most um, charisma and likability factor was someone who actually finished, uh, I think, kind of disappointingly, if, if he's being honest with himself, which is David Murner. I thought he was a real interesting person. I thought he had a good middle-of-the-road approach, consensus-building approach for people that, that want to go that route. I kind of expected he would he would do better than he did. Uh, you know, he finished fifth, ultimately. Annie Paul was an interesting interview. She was the last one I did. There was a, a bit of uh, negotiation to, to get the interview. But I found her to be very articulate, very intelligent. She has a compelling story. Uh, there is no doubt that she is going to be a strong leader. She will be. She's going to bring a lot of credibility to this party. She's going to bring a lot of interest, a lot of media attention. But for people, again, on the political left, this is a profound disappointment. As much as they can respect her abilities as a political leader, uh, they're, they're going to be left wanting, I think, in terms of in terms of policy and direction. Mm, OK, obviously, the fact that she's a woman of color, the fact that she's a female political leader is significant. It, it matters a lot these days. Is that going to win votes for the Green Party in what is really quite a male dominated scene? It seems in Canada in terms of leaders at the moment. It, it's really hard to say, Declan. Mm. I mean, um, I think it. I think it can't. It can't hurt. I think it will help in some respects. I think that uh, it's a breakthrough for the Greens. It's a breakthrough, really, for for the country as a whole. I think you know that part of it is a very positive development. She will succeed, I think, based on her skill set, which is you know diplomacy, negotiation. She's worked internationally. She's quite fluently bilingual. Her French, I'm not, my French is not great at all, but to me, her French sounds excellent. The party's never really made any inroads in Quebec, so perhaps that can help there. And she's running uh, as a candidate for member of parliament in an upcoming by-election in a riding called Toronto Centre. Now, that riding is a, is a liberal fortress. It has been a liberal stronghold for years. Uh, it recently was vacated by Bill Morneau, our former finance minister. She is going to do, I think, quite well in that riding. But the Liberals have, I think, quite smartly, uh, from a crass political point of view, um, chosen a candidate who is a well-known person, 
a well-known woman, also a well-known uh, black woman who uh, has worked as a television journalist for many years. Yeah. So if people are voting based on uh, those types of considerations, uh, that, that vote will be split, I imagine, between those two candidates. But I, I think she'll do well. I don't know that she can win it. I think that will be a, a tough ask, but it's it's going to be competitive for sure, where it hasn't been for many years. Yeah, it's a really exciting by-election. Uh, I think if anyone can challenge the Liberals there, that would be quite a significant one. As you said, it is a very Liberal strong seat, isn't it? And I think she ran in 2019, correct, Paul, and didn't fare too well. But obviously now as leader of the party, that could be a very different result. Yes, she got about 7% in 2019, but that was actually double what they had gotten the, the previous election. Uh, as a leader, as someone who people know, She's going to do a lot better. Again, I don't know that she can win it, but who knows? It, it'll be very interesting to watch. If she can win it somehow, that would be a massive victory for the Greens. They've never won in Ontario federally, and they've only won once uh, in one location provincially. So that would be a huge breakthrough for the Greens federally. But it, it, it remains to be seen. It's definitely one I'll be keeping my eye on. Should she fail in that, though, could could that hinder the party to have a leader who doesn't have a seat? And I say that in the way that Elizabeth Elizabeth May had her seat for for a long time, has been the leader for a long time. She has a, obviously has a big role to play, but she did have that seat. She did have that credibility. Is that going to affect the Greens, the fact that um, Paul doesn't yet have a seat? I don't think it will hurt them too much, and partly because we're in a still in a pandemic where a lot of things are done virtually. Also because people don't necessarily expect her to gain a seat right away. I mean, no one expects her to win Toronto Centre. There's no downside for her. As long as she does reasonably well, it's a, it's a victory. Now, Elizabeth May spent a lot of time as leader without a seat before she won her first one. Uh, she's a very controversial figure in Canadian politics. She's She's well regarded by many, but there are a lot of people who see her as a, a someone who's meddled a lot, who's who's hyper controlling of the party. She is currently the parliamentary leader of the Greens. So in the House of Commons, where they have three seats, she is the leader in the House of Commons. Elizabeth May was subtly behind the scenes and sometimes more oblique, uh, more obviously supporting Annie Paul. So. I'm not sure that Annemie Paul has the stomach to do this, but my advice to whoever was going to win is to remove Elizabeth May as parliamentary leader. Try as much as possible to put her in the background, if not the rearview mirror, because at this point, Elizabeth May needs to become very low profile uh, so that the leader can succeed. Maybe, maybe that could even include Elizabeth May stepping down in her riding in British Columbia to give an easy entry for Annemie Paul should she lose in Toronto Centre. I don't think Elizabeth May would do that. I think she's too invested in her parliamentary seat and career. But if she's serious about helping Annemie Paul and advancing uh, a leader of colour in the House of Commons, that's one way she could really uh, you know, put that into practice. If Elizabeth May doesn't do that, do you anticipate there could be a bit of a, a bit of a conflict in the party to have someone with that status who isn't the leader? 
Potentially. And, and, you know, so we've had leaders, uh, you know, past prime ministers and federal leaders who've remained MPs for, 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 you know, fairly long period of time. They just fade away. They don't show up very often in the house of commons. They work on their memoirs or what have you. Um, Elizabeth may can't do that. Elizabeth may, I think is completely incapable of staying quiet and not interfering in the party that for many years has been cast in her image. The party is her baby. And I, I just think that it push may come to shove and enemy Paul may have to just, um, you know, by hook or by crook, uh, silence Elizabeth May to a certain extent. Yeah, that would be quite a controversial move because May has done a lot of work, as you rightly said. You know, it's her baby. She's she took this party and made it really successful from from where it started until now. The Greens have really pushed on, so that's going to be a really interesting one to see how that actually plays out. Looking at elections, then obviously there was the federal election only 2019, so there is some way to go before another. Do you anticipate then, with Paul in charge? Do you anticipate the Greens might focus more provincially? Um, are they going to really go big federally? Um, how do you see that working out? Well, there is a possibility of a federal election being sparked next spring because we do have a minority government. The, the Liberals are in a minority situation. They're currently being propped up by the NDP, but that that won't last forever. Yeah. When the budget comes out, there will be a budget uh, probably early next year. And the, the votes on that budget will be confidence votes. And if the government loses a confidence motion, it falls. So I think Annamie Paul and the rest of the federal Greens have to be on election footing from day one, which is obviously today. I think that's something they have to be planning for, preparing for. Uh, I think you'll start to see candidates being nominated for, for writings that uh, may not see an election until you know, for, it could potentially not be till 2023, the next election, but more likely it'll be within the next year or two. So I think federal election preparedness will be a big priority for me. Do you see the Greens pushing on? Um, you know, they have done really well in recent years. Do you think they're going to get more seats and become more of a force in Canadian politics? I believe so. I believe so. That not Not because... Um, of any policy changes from Annamie Paul, but just because it's it's a fresh face, it's yeah. it's a new voice, it's someone who you know she she's much better spoken than Elizabeth May. Uh, I think she has more charisma than Elizabeth May, and so under new management, the Green Party will, in the next election, I believe, increase their seat count marginally. You know they've got three right now, maybe they go up to five or six. But there is a, I think, a ceiling of, of uh, progress for them. I, I don't ever see the Greens being a, a truly major party in Canada, but I do see some more growth in their future, especially with the NDP kind of stuck in neutral and the Liberals losing credibility, uh, especially on the environmental issues that are confronting us. Of course, yeah. And with the candidates who didn't win, who weren't successful in this election, um, do you see any prominent roles for them in the Green Party? Obviously, a lot of them are very involved. Are they going to be involved um, sort of really locally in the party? Are they going to have top positions? 
are they going to stay close to, to Paul or is it a case of they may fade away? I think several of them will stay in the in the Green Party fold. Several of them will just fade away. Um, so, for example, Dmitry Laskaris, he's, he's been associated with the party for, for a number of years. He was a candidate in 2015. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm not basing this on anything. I have no information to suggest this whatsoever. But I wouldn't be surprised if he struck out and tried to start a new political movement or party. Wow. Uh, because it, there's obviously no place for him, despite how well he did. He and Enemy Paul cannot coexist in the Green Party, at least not with him having any kind of significant role. Um, I think Miriam Haddad's time with the Green Party probably uh, has come to, to an end. She may run again. Uh, she may stay involved. But again, her, her vision is much different from what the Green Party's is now. More interestingly will be Courtney Howard. Courtney Howard is an emergency room physician from uh, Yellowknife, which is in the Northwest Territories. She did really well. Uh, she wound up with uh, close to 25% of the vote. I think she's a rising star mm -hmm. in, in, in the Green Party. She's someone that um, could wind up in Parliament. Like this, the, the territorial seats in Canada can, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of fluidity. I, I could see her maybe capturing a seat. Glenn Murray probably moves on to another political opportunity inside or outside of the Green Party. Who knows? Uh, and someone like a David Murner, no idea. Amit Kutner um, maybe stays uh, active in the party. I think there's a, a big role for Amita. And Andrew West has been a perennial candidate. I actually lived many moons ago in the riding. He contests every federal election. I, I assume he'll just keep doing his thing as mm -hmm. the most conservative Green Party member in Canada. So, Okay. And in terms of the pressure that's going to be on the Greens, I mean, being party leader is very different to positions that Annemie Paul has held before. Of course, it's worth saying she has had a very successful career in law as well. So in some ways, she may be used to that pressure. But how do you think she's going to handle that, making the TV appearances, making the speeches at rallies? Is she going to do well there or is that something that she could struggle with? You know, she comes across quite well in, in, in interviews. She's very well spoken. One thing that she is going to have to learn to do is answer questions she does not want to answer. Okay. During, during, the, um, during the campaign, there were a number of questionnaires sent to candidates asking their you know, thoughts on different issues. A lot of organizations reported that Annie Paul just simply did not answer questions uh, she didn't want to answer. She just left them blank, no response. During uh, the debate, the leadership debate on foreign affairs, which I reported on for redaction politics, there were uh, kind of quick fire questions where the candidates were asked to answer with thumbs up, thumbs down, or just kind of sideways. Mm -hmm. She gave every, sideways was a pass. She gave every one of the questions a pass. So she doesn't seem comfortable when she can't control the questions, even in negotiating the interview with her, uh, her staff originally said, you know, can we see the questions? And and I never send questions to people I'm interviewing. Journalists don't do that. Um, but that's where she's got to improve. She's got to learn to be open 
to answer the tough questions, not just the, the softball ones that she wants to answer and know she can hit out of the park. Yeah, so it's kind of a weakness of hers then, really, to, you know, she needs to be a little bit more direct with these things rather than evading it. Well, I don't know if it's her or her staff or advisors, you know, she might have some gatekeepers that are trying to protect her, but yeah. she's in the big, she's in the big leagues now. Uh, and, and she's, she's got to take the good and the bad when, in terms of media attention, media questions, uh, hopefully she'll do that. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. One thing that seems to be her strength is fundraising. You mentioned at the beginning that she raised the most money out of all the candidates. We spoke in this podcast uh, not long ago about the impact that money's had on the NDP, for example, how they've struggled with that and that's hurt them electorally. How significant is that? The fact that she is very successful at fundraising large amounts of money for her campaign. How important could that be as leader? Well, it's huge. You know, money doesn't play nearly the same role here that it does in the United States, but it's still important. You need it for, you know, staff, you need it for advertising, social media, you name it, you need money to to uh, operate and fund it. Her ability to fundraise has been proven, and it'll be interesting to see how much she can translate that into, you know, national fundraising for the party, Obviously, if there is an election in the next six months to a year, the, the party's going to need money to, uh, to, to to campaign. And quite frankly, the last federal campaign by the Green Party was very targeted because there wasn't enough money, just like with the NDP, to really devote time to every region of Canada. So if they can fundraise, if she can get out and meet more people, that could translate into greater success for them. There's no doubt about that. And what's it like in your area, Scott? You're in Nova Scotia. Um, is there a is there a green presence there, or what? What's the landscape like where you are? No, the Green Party in Nova Scotia, both provincially and federally, is 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 pretty much um, irrelevant. Now, next door in New Brunswick and in Prince Edward Island, the Greens are a significant force. They're the opposition provincially in Prince Edward Island. Uh, they have uh, three members in New Brunswick, in, in British Columbia, they're a big force provincially. In Ontario, they have a member. The Greens are on the march provincially. They're doing very well in certain areas, but Nova Scotia, where I live, is not one of them. Mm, okay. And for, in terms of foreign policy, then, um, obviously now is an extremely important time to be connected internationally. Um, with what's happening in the States, with what's happening in Europe and indeed China. Um, do we have any indication yet of where Paul and the Greens might stand on some of those issues in terms of, for example, relationship with the EU, relationship with the US? Is it too early or do we have any idea? I mean, there are signals. There's signals that Paul has sent herself. And I mentioned some of those at the outset with, you know, regarding the Middle East and that. Um, yeah. But the Green Party of Canada is different than the other parties. It is much more of a grassroots party that not always, definitely not always, but often does listen to its membership on policy. And Annemie Paul herself told me that she wants to listen to members, she wants to hear from them, and that part of her uh, you know, approach will be dependent on what members are telling her. That being said, her skills in international diplomacy and conflict resolution are definitely going to help her 
and they'll also inform her approach on the international stage. And what do you think Justin Trudeau's reaction will be? Is is he going to be a bit worried now um, that the Greens are going to march on and maybe target his voters? Or is he not too worried yet? I'd be a little concerned, you know, because if, if enemy Paul can, can even move the needle just a few percent, even a, a few more percent for the Greens could significantly damage the Liberals' hopes in the next federal election. And let's not forget uh, the Liberal Party of Canada has never had a female leader. Uh, Trudeau, of course, describes himself as a feminist, but that's not the same as having an actual woman in the, in, in the prime minister's chair. Uh, they've never had a person of color as a leader, and Trudeau has uh, a checkered history, including wearing blackface on several occasions. So there's a lot there that I think would frighten Trudeau. But I don't think it's his, his biggest concern right now, but it's one that he will have to face whenever there is a federal election. You know, we saw recently in the US that there were live debates recently. And I'm just thinking, you know, in Canada, if there is a live debate for the next election, um, that could be quite a really awkward situation for Trudeau um, with the with the blackface scandal to have to face questions about that from Paul. That could be quite a potent line for her. I can already see them, you know, working on that messaging right now because it's something that absolutely will come up uh, and it absolutely will sting the prime minister. Yeah. I, I think that uh, it's it's inevitable. Uh, and this is part of why this is so historic and such a breakthrough. Uh, it just it changes the entire conversation politically and how people are viewing it. So while I do feel uh, from a left wing perspective this was a disappointment. Well, I do think this is ultimately a status quo result. I do acknowledge this is a really important historic breakthrough in Canadian politics and Annie Paul and the Green Party deserve credit for that. The final thing I'm going to ask you for then, we have already spoken about the by-election which is coming up in Toronto Centre. Um, I'm going to ask you to put your neck on the line and I'm going to ask you, who do you think is going to take that seat? I think the Liberals will win it. I, I, I do believe that. Um, now, there's one factor that, that could come into play, which is that there has been, historically, it's not always honoured, but it's often honoured, a tradition in which some parties will withdraw a candidate so that a, a new leader of a political party can get into the House of Commons. There is a chance that the NDP plays ball on that. I'm not sure that they will, but if they do and they withdraw their candidate, that might help put Annemie Paul within range, within striking distance of winning. But I still think, based on who the candidates are and based on my knowledge of Toronto Centre, I still think it will go liberal. Okay, great. Thanks so much for your thoughts about that, Scott. Um, and Scott's been doing some great coverage for us of the Greens election. Do check out those interviews on Redaction Politics. And yeah, I just want to plug quickly as well. Scott does have his own podcast, which I really recommend you go and give a listen to. That's the Trailblazers and Troublemakers podcast. Um, had some great interviews so far. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more to come. So go and check that out. Um, so that's been everything from me, uh, Declan Carey, and my guest today has been Scott Coston, our North America correspondent. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Scott. Oh, thank you.